you hear it in, in a lot of artists. It's not just electronic musicians. Steve Vai, you can you know tell it's Steve Vai playing, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to be recognizable. But another thing I would you know say is that if you want to be as flexible as possible as a musician, you want to understand what makes you sound like you, so that you can innovate on that, or that you can completely change it. Personally, I don't want to stick to just one sound. I want to explore everything I possibly can. Welcome to the Rem Atmos podcast. I haven't done this podcast since 2019, but I've really been wanting to return to it as of late. This new episode is with Jacob Grimm, aka Reflect. He is a musician, EDM producer, sound designer, VSC developer, and an overall creative and art-loving human. In this episode, we talk about some of his personal stories living in Indiana, taking a hiatus for artistic growth, and even some sound design and production topics, so layman beware. I won't stall here. Let's get into it. Here's Reflect. Hey, how you doing, uh, Jacob? I'm not too bad, man. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Kind of like just woke up not long ago. Um, This is a... uh, Oh, part two, I guess, uh, a retry at uh, doing this. Last time um, we had some recording issues. The the release part two to the to the unreleased part one. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe some people listening to this might know who you are, but I can imagine uh, perhaps most won't know. Uh, so uh, if you could, I mean, how would you like describe yourself? I'm a, currently a producer under the name Reflect, but I haven't... Uh, or under the alias Reflect, but I haven't uh, released any music underneath that alias in, in quite some time. Um, I guess I would uh, probably just describe myself as an aspiring creative. I would try to keep too many labels off of my my likeness. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think that is pretty, um, that, that covers a lot of territories, just saying you're just like, like a creative I, I, w- I will say that I'm I'm uh, pretty heavily focused in music and music technology. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I know you've put out like a good few songs. Um, do you all uh, trash? <laughs> I I personally liked uh, I, I I liked a lot of them. I really liked um, like one of your oldest ones actually, uh, Sakura. I thought it was really really nice to be honest. I actually wrote that in uh, one of my high school classrooms um, when I was supposed to be listening to a lecture. We there was a cherry yeah. blossom tree uh, out the window to my left, and I, I was pretty much sat right next to it in the classroom. And so over the like the course of that week, I pretty much just didn't listen to any lectures and uh, just <laughs> just produced on uh, the school laptop. Oh, that's awesome! Wait, you ju- you just installed FL on there? Yeah, I jailbroke the the school laptop and I installed FL. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome! <laughs> Holy shit, I did not know that. That's really yeah. cool. <clears throat> um, actually, it's exactly that reason that I was allowed to. Uh, okay, so I took several music classes in high school, but um, pretty much from the start when I when I first started in high school, I took a music appreciation my freshman year, uh, yeah, and. Yeah. Um, the about like two or three days into it um my music teacher learned about my work and uh about the kind of stuff that i do and he said uh, you, you don't need to be in this classroom this this classroom has nothing to teach you so oh, essentially wow. for for that um class he 
he set up a back uh, practice room for me. And uh, when I went to music appreciation class, what he would have me go do is write songs to then later present to the classroom. Oh God, dude, that's so awesome. That, that is was an very amazing stressful. teacher right there. <laughs> I, yeah, it was, oh, it was very good enough. practice, but oh yeah. I mean, I have to present it to the class, so you know how teenagers are. <laughs> I mean, how, were, how, did they, uh, how did they critique? I mean, what, what did they say? What was their feedback when they would hear your stuff? I think uh, regarding uh, Sakura or Sakura, I don't know how you actually pronounce that uh, in in Japanese. But uh, I remember the most detailed feedback that I got was, I really like the nature sounds. <laughs> oh. Not not very insightful. There, there wasn't <laughs> no. a whole lot. Uh, There's not a lot to take away from that to be like, okay, I can apply that to my next uh, my next song. I'll be honest, um, because he wasn't well-versed in electronic music, I feel like I was probably put back there more for him than I was for me, uh, just so that he had more examples to, to teach the class off of, so. <laughs> Would you say you're happy with uh, that choice, though, of you being uh, back there? I think it was the best thing for my education. There, He was he was right in, in the sense that there really wasn't a whole lot that um, I could have been taught right, uh, right. in a classroom. That's actually a pretty cool story. Actually, I, I uh, wish my high school was that cool, man. I um, I was in chorus for two years, um, and I, I, I got opportunities to just kind of play piano in the back room uh, and uh, learn songs for my whole guys group um, that I was with to, um, to practice and uh, perform for the class. Um, I was kind of like the pianist guy in the class. I mean, that was kind of cool, um, but I, I never had like a... Uh, a class where I could just produce music. I, I come from a very, very small town in central Indiana. Right. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's a small town school. There's really not a whole lot of resources around. There aren't, there isn't a whole lot of uh, classes in music. So mm. in, in a lot of situations, um, you know, because I took so many classes, it wasn't because there were so many classes to take. It's because I um, discussed things with my music teacher and we ended up making new classes so that I could, I could take further music education. Oh, wow. Um, we almost got to Music Theory 3. So there was a Music Theory 2 already, but um, I almost got to be the first person at that school to go to Music Theory 3. But I had, uh, around that time of turning 18, I had some pretty unfortunate um, living circumstances. So I kind of had to settle with graduating early from high school. Um, I had all the, I had more than all the credits I needed. So I just, I kind of had to suck it up and, um, go straight into the workforce from there. Damn, man. Uh, was that around the time that you put out, um, Nautilus? Yeah, actually, uh, that song saved my life. Really? I, I do remember, um, the description on that with donations being able to help you out because you were, you said you were in a difficult time period. Right. So, um, I don't want to get into a lot of detail, but sure. I was briefly homeless uh, during that winter, and that winter was especially nasty. Damn. Um, and I wasn't really ready to release Nautilus yet. I had a copy of it saved on my phone. Um, so I, trans I, I decided, you know, I need money, 
and I'm not going to be able to work on this song for a long time. So what I need to do is go to a friend's, borrow their internet, transfer it to their computer, upload the song, and and like set it up so that I, I can try to make a little extra money. And from the donations of, of uh, generous listeners, I was able to buy a tarp that allowed me to stay out of the cold uh, the, the most of the wind. So I, I was sleeping outside because re- I really you know didn't have anyone I knew well enough that I could go live with them. So I kind of had to to brave it out. So the the tarp is what saved me from the, from the wind chill and what allowed me to keep a fire going without uh, without it being blown out. So it saved my life very literally. Yeah, you're not kidding there. Wow. Well, that's actually really amazing. I actually never really knew the story of uh, what happened regarding Nautilus and all that. Um, actually, um, well, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Um, if you were able to continue working on Nautilus, what would you have added? I would have retuned the the, the guitar section for sure. Um, <laughs> when I played that, my guitar was so so very out of tune. Um, but I had to take a very, very long walk to back to my um, grandfather's house where my computer was staying at the time. Hmm. Um, and I pretty much had overstayed my welcome there because I had to move out months prior due to some issues where I was living at the time. I couldn't stay. Um, so I was able to, to, to go by there and... Uh, grab my computer, take it to a friend's house from which it was almost stolen. Um, but that's a different story. And uh, I was able to to finish recording the guitar part and mixing that and it was the last part I put in. But yeah, I, w- I would have um, retuned my guitar and probably come up with a much better uh, midsection for it. But you know, in hindsight, um, it kind of has character, especially knowing, personally knowing what uh, what went into recording that guitar. So... Wow. Right. It has more of a, a deeper sentimental value, I suppose, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, that's who my music is for me. So, no, I definitely get that. Honestly, uh, for me, I, in my experience, uh, with kind of like giving my, uh, my songs a personal sentimental value, um, I have done this in 2019. I would record, like, just everywhere I would go, I would record my conversations with people. Um, I would go out with friends and record Foley. I once went out with a friend late at night and just went to this lake kind of out in not exactly rural, but more of a, there's a lot more wildlife um, in this area close to where I live. And yeah, we just went out to a lake and recorded Foley and using that Foley in my songs and vocal samples gave it so much more meaning to me. Um, And that's something that I did a lot in the past. That sounds like uh, perhaps one of the most enjoyable things that someone could do. Go out with refri- with friends and uh, make a mess uh, about nature and just <laughs> record it and have fun. Oh yeah, we were like, it, it was so cool. I, I miss doing this with this uh, with this dude. But yeah, we were like snapping tree branches and throwing rocks into water, um, tapping on stuff, just whatever. It was so much fun. Did you ever try to to make like? Um, more complicated foley like um i don't know i guess a little bit more engineered pick something pick something up and and modify an object to to make a different sound could you give an example yeah so um i haven't gone out and um 
done something like this, but um, I don't know, let's say you carry a stick around with you while you're recording fully, and uh, in between recording samples, you you like whittle out the center so that it has more of a hollow ring to it. Or setting up a, a, a different, uh, like a pile of rocks in, in such a way that it rattles when you, you know, hit it or something of that nature. That's definitely taking it to the next level. That's um, timbre alteration. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Wow. I real world that. sound design. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty I've awesome. done real world sound design, but I haven't been able to go out and record things from nature. Mm. Do you have a means of recording? Or I suppose you could just use like a phone. Uh, that can be adequate, right? <sighs> I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't um, use it. Usually I'll take a laptop and a, and a studio mic outside with me. Wow. And I'll, I'll yeah, I'll fucking <laughs> just deal with it. Right, right. Hey, I mean, you're, you're using what you have. You're doing what you got to do, man. Yeah, I get that. That's, that works. I need to buy the... I need to buy a field recording mic, but I don't actually mm. know what to look for. I, I just kind of looked online uh, for uh, just like best ones of 2021. And I found one that I, 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 I like it. I like it. Um, it's the Tascam DR40X. It's a, it's a more recent one. And I just got, I have, I have like a 128 gigabyte like SD card. So I can just like keep recording. Um, but it seems to work pretty well. You said the Tascam. TR40X? Uh, DR, like Dr. DR. Gotcha. DR40X. It seems to work pretty well. Um, it has it allows you to record in 44.1K, uh, 48, and I think 96, So, and export like wave, 24-bit uh, waves. So the quality can be really good. And the little microphones, um, they are movable. So there is the typical where they're facing each other, and that gives... I, I, if I'm correct, I, I believe like a more like focused sort of recording, or you can turn them uh, 90 degrees outward, each of them, um, to get more of a uh, environmental recording. Yeah, and listening back to the recordings, it's it's almost kind of binaural. It's really cool. It's very three dimensional sounding. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's. I'm sure it's different from a actual like real binaural microphone. Where it like simulates like the human head, and obviously it's probably much more different than that. But I don't really know how effective those are, anyways. I mean, I've listened to them, and you can tell. But I think it's like something that I wouldn't really notice uh, binaural audio for the most part, unless um, I would I knew it was there and I was looking for it. Well, in the context of a song, when it's mixed with all kinds of other elements, it's not so much as noticeable. Um, but it is interesting what is um, what parameters are being um, affected to simulate that sort of three dimensional space. I mean, for I mean, there's of course left and right panning, but there is also um, there's sort of like EQ um, changes that happen. Um, also, some phase related stuff. It's really cool. So I mean, those are altered. Um, right. Bin binaural audio isn't something I'm like really well versed in, but uh, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, for sure. I, I will say that right now it seems more like a um, like a recording curiosity than it does mm -hmm. a practical uh, tool for cinema. Well, okay, I take that back. It probably has some pretty good applications in cinema, but as far as being applicable in music, I just don't see it right now. It seems just a little gimmicky. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I, I see it more so as like it's kind of like maybe just a fun thing to play around with, more of a toy. Right, yeah. I know in cinema they do um, like 5 to 1 and 7 to 1 like surround sound mixing, which that's a whole other world, which is I find kind of fascinating. Um, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you different speaker setups. Yeah. I, I, that confused me for a minute. Oh, oh, yeah. There's 5 to 1, 7 to 1, and there might be other kinds too, but... There, yeah, there are um, handfuls of other kinds. I remember um, when I, I was, I can't remember what I was trying to learn in the Juice framework, but I remember mm. going through and seeing different um, settings for um, audio bus channel numbers, uh, mm. and I would set, I would be able to set it to like mono, stereo, five point one, seven point one. There were a few others right. too that that were a little higher up there. I think there was a sixteen. <laughs> wow, that's very immersive. To to think mix mixing like between all those speakers sounds that's just crazy. I that's a whole other world that I'm. I think most producers are not well versed in. But wouldn't seven be enough? Really, like you really don't need to go any higher than that. For sure. <laughs> I, I wonder at what point it's just like the difference is not even noticeable, right? You know. Right, like it's kind of like the same question with, um, <laughs> like when you get above 4K televisions, it's like, can you really see the difference? Right. I mean, I'm sure that that has scientific applications, but that's not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess to kind of suddenly change topics, um, have I have I uh, talked to you about the uh, uh, probably pretty pretentious but uh, very personal pursuit of just a higher cre- uh, creative understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've been on this for a while, right? Cause you haven't released music in, uh, I think years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Salt in the wound, man. No. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, I decided that it was best to just, uh, I think I've told you this before, but I, I just felt that it was better if I just stepped down, uh, and stopped worrying about, trying to release music and just worried about polishing my craft and, and really honing my abilities uh, as a musician, as a producer, as a sound designer, um, and trying to find my creative identity, which has been a whole huge long journey that just started out with me trying to take inspiration from other genres of music. Right. Um, what are some uh, big things you feel like you've gained from this uh, so far? Well, I learned. To, I start. I um, began to learn instruments back in uh, 2017. Uh, the first instrument I really picked up was a guitar. Um, okay. And then I picked up keyboard, and uh, shortly after that, bass. And drop bass for a while, but I picked bass back up, and I've been doing um, a lot of drum studying uh, over the last few months because I don't have a drum kit. So mm. just trying to pay a lot more attention to rhythm and, and study drums. And then within the past week, I've actually getting uh, been getting back into flute, which is what I played in band in middle school. Oh wow, that's awesome. Oh, what is there? Is it a certain type of flute that you are that you are playing, or it's the flute? <laughs> okay, I, I don't know if there are different kinds or not, but okay. Uh, no, there are. Um, 
I can't remember what this is called, but it, when you think of a flute, you know, the, the transverse <laughs> flute, you know, that you hold to the side, that's, yeah, that's what I play. That's awesome. Um, I don't play a piccolo or like a bass flute or anything like that. So, okay. Okay. I think playing, playing like a, a bass flute would be cool though. Yeah. Wow. I wonder how low they go actually, uh, in frequency. I don't know. It probably depends on. I'm guessing there are probably different bass flutes that are meant to go lower. I will get a bass flute and I'll just start doing all my bass lines with it. See, <laughs> if, I, see if I could use it as a separate sub. No. <laughs> uh, you you could actually um, perform it if you like know how to do uh, woodwind instruments. You could get an iwi. Oh shoot! That's um that's like a MIDI flute, right? Is yeah, so MIDI woodwind instrument, and uh, <laughs> they're fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. That actually sounds really fun to be honest. Uh speaking of which, I actually just ordered um mm. the Jammy E MIDI guitar. Oh, right, right, uh, right. Pre-ordered it. I might have told you about this. I can't remember if I told you. I told a bunch of people. I was super excited. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the the intention No, I definitely did tell you. But the intention is to um set up multiple instances of essentially the same synth sound or layer. And then I'll make manipulations to each sound so that I can try to emulate like your low string, your low E string, your high E string, or you know anything in between. So, because when you play guitar, one thing that's important is um, where you strum. But if I just strum over the 12th fret, all of these, um, all of these uh, strings have a different timbre. They have a different tone. Right. Um, and of course, like I said, it's also where you pluck the guitar on the string. So like trying to think about things like that. And um, each string is going to react differently in, in the real world because it's, they're fundamentally different. They're, there are different tensions, different gauges, different sizes, maybe different materials. There's a lot of variables there. So the idea is to try to capture some of that that like organic feeling of realism through doing things like uh, little fine details like that. Also, tr- I'm going to try to figure out a way to do um, fret noises too. Wow. I, I wonder how you could uh, sort of simulate that. Because um, you would have to do it through sound design means, right? Yes. Uh, ideally, uh, I could probably do it through sampling, but that's not how I want to do it. I could do all of this through sampling and just use a, a library that someone's already made. Right, right, right. A contact instrument. Yeah, exactly. And But what I would rather do is take this time to like really understand what makes a guitar sound like a guitar or what makes a bass guitar sound like a bass guitar, you know? Yeah. And if I can find all of the different little expressions and understand them better, not only is it going to make me better at designing those sort of sounds, it's going to make me a better, more aware guitarist. Wow. Yeah, when you're actually playing a physical guitar, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you, I'm going to be thinking about, you know, you've got uh, three tones that kind of come out of a guitar when you tap a string. You have You have your main note. You also have a little bit of an overtone from that depending on where you tap it and you've got an overtone in the opposite direction running away from the sound hole to the head 
because that string still has tension. Are you so, talking about undertones? No, it's not an oh. undertone. Well, it's, I guess it's not really a, a harmonic either, but... It's more atonal, right? Yeah, kind of. I'll hold the 12th fret, and then I'll pluck it, the side running from the 12th fret down to the headstock. So you, when I tap, you have both of those. Unless you, you know, are doing it right and you're muting it. But the point right. is, is if you can kind of like think about stuff like that and, and program it into the synthesizer's behavior, then I think that's a big part of what's missing in um, sound design in electronic music right now, I think, is we're thinking more about tone mm-hmm. uh, and a whole lot less about behavior. And I think that's the more interesting thing, how it changes over time. I, I don't totally understand what you mean, though, with uh, behavior. Uh, so when you think of a growl, mm-hmm. the behavior you usually think of is some sort of vowel movement. It doesn't necessarily have to be a low-pass filter or a high-pass filter. It could be a vowel filter, but you, would, you might still consider it a growl depending on its tone. But you also, you, it, you know, a growl necessitates that you have that vowel in there. That's part right. of the growl's behavior. Uh, it's also necessary for a growl to have some sort of like grit or, or maybe even like squelchiness or noisiness. But you know, when you get to like a super smooth sound, you can get a vowel movement and in a bass. But if it's a really smooth, clean sound, you don't think of it as a growl. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a con- your behavior is a combination of what it sounds like and what it's doing. And the, usually the behavior stops at, you know, just one, one behavior, like your vowel movement for a sound. Mm. It doesn't, doesn't do any more expression past that. But if you think about all the other things going on, like if I'm trying to emulate a guitar, if I'm thinking about all the, the unwant, usually unwanted notes, and I try to program to account for those, when I perform it, it will sound more real. It'll sound uh, more intricate be much harder to identify how I made it to though. That's not really important. You, I, I think you'll be able to, to get um, like this weird hybrid electric, almost acoustic. Uh, I should say virtual, almost real sound out of it. Well, I, that is definitely something electronic music is missing where everything sounds so perfect and synthetic, you know? It, right. And it lacks the, it's, it's the imperfections in sound that give them character. Well, that's that's honestly kind of a relieving thing too, because I think a lot of producers are striving for perfection in like every way. It kind of gives a little bit of a peace of mind uh, to to know that a lot of the imperfections, for example, in in mixing, kind of give the song more character. Right, exactly. If it sounds good, it is good. You want to clip the fuck out of your master if yeah. it fits if it if it fits the musical intention of mm. that section of the song. Go for it because it it helps to convey your your storytelling or your message, mm-hmm. and it sounds good if it you know if it sounds thematically concise. It's imp- you know that's the context is important, but you can do anything in mixing. I'm not I'm not one of the people who agree with p- perhaps you could call them the gatekeepers <laughs> of EDM. 
that they think like everything has has to be mixed to this super high clean standard i think that's more of an engineer mindset to look at at it than an artist's mindset i'm definitely with you there (laughs) you're you're kind of taking art out of it if you standardize it like that oh wow yeah there's less uh less room for subjectivity and it's more so it has to adhere to these certain guidelines that have been agreed upon by certain people yeah exactly and what i've what i've tried to what I've tried to convey to uh, a handful of people on Twitter uh, through some some pretty heated Twitter uh, <laughs> right. debates, not really, or like brief exchanges, <laughs> um, slightly but tense, understated, yeah, slightly tense. But I've tr- I've been trying to convey that's like you don't need to be this this standardized it doesn't make sense creatively mm-hmm. to be this standardized set it, it makes sense more to do what makes sense for the song if it sounds good it is good oh absolutely um i've recently been getting into a uh, channel that talks about mixing and it is very different from uh the typical ones you'll run into on youtube where they tell you you know do this this does this um it it this channel is um, Kush After Hours. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. Oh, man. I think it's definitely more your type of uh, outlook. It allows for a lot more subjectivity. It, it, it treats it for the subjective uh, thing that it is, you know, mixing. Uh, that it isn't something that is uh, to be standardized. He, I love what he talks about with, um, for example, even with like reference tracks, about that you don't have to try to get something to sound just like a reference track. You don't have to try to force your uh, circular song into a square hole. <laughs> that is a, that's, uh, wow, that's fantastically elegant. No, thanks. <laughs> um, man, that's something I just, I am infatuated with. Finding good music educators on YouTube. Uh, just so much fun to, to find someone that, is really good at uh, talking about things and knows what to talk about. You know, like mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of music channels I've seen. They essentially walk through the same steps <laughs> as everybody else. They will cover their favorite song, which is probably a hundred thousand people, others are other people's favorite songs, or you're going to have situations where they like try to walk through all the basics of music theory. But I think it's more interesting to do something like uh, explore music history or try to analyze something that you can't use, I guess uh, what I would call, or what Adam Neely calls seventh century uh, European harmony. Right, right. One of the things I really like to do is go back and listen to Jay Dilla's works. Ah, yes, which is very, uh, very, sounds very human. Right, and uh, he he has this way of, uh, he turned, uh, I can't remember what drum pad he used, mm-hmm. but he was really good at, tur- at using it. He turned it into, into an instrument because he was one of the first who thought to turn off the quantization and just play. <laughs> and yeah, he has this really off-kilter, hard-to-analyze sound, but continuously listening to it with a critical ear, you can start to find patterns. And, and that goes for any style of music, any musician. He definitely blurred the, the lines between um, a producer and a musician. 
Yeah, which a lot of producers are a lot more like programmers a lot of the time, you know? Jacob and I went on and eventually found ourselves talking about the idea of unpredictability in music. Two examples being Frequent and Babocon, uh, currently known as uh, Alexander Panos. Um, those two guys, man. But um, if you listen to Tension Coil by Frequent, that's a really good example. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. See, and also uh, Frequent's remix of Cosmic Tuba by Cohen Sound. In terms of song structure, it, I love the unpredictability. It's not so disorderly that it becomes just a mess. It has, an, has order to it, but has the right amount of unpredictability. Uh, creative, it, it, it is creative to be unpredictable. Uh, you know, it, to make something unpredictable, that requires a good bit of creativity and like where you take the song moment to moment. And I admire that so much. He does that yeah, so well. I mean, sometimes being a little... Sometimes being a little messy is nice too. For sure, yeah. I, I, I'm sure there uh, is a line, uh, like an abstract line that is crossed though where it starts to feel like it's not really intentional as much anymore though. So letting it feel intentional might be an important factor with the messiness. But Right, yeah. So um, it's not really messiness, but uh, what comes to mind, because it would sound messy to most people, um, and I don't necessarily think that you have to really understand the ins and outs of the of the music to feel it, but uh, there's um, a piece of music by a very influential artist for me, uh, Frank Zappa, mm. and the piece is the Black Page. It's probably one of his most famous pieces, um, but it's very uh, polyrhythmic, not polymet, not polymetric, polyrhythmic. Okay. Um, and it just has a lot of strange rhythm changes. The melody is kind of cool. And then it goes kind of everywhere. And then it's kind of, you know, it comes back to it. But one of the things that I was having a hard time for with is listening to the downbeat sometimes <laughs> with, with so much going on. And that's when I was like, fuck the downbeat. I'm going to feel every musical moment of this. I'm going to make the conscious decision to be like omnipresent in the, in the listening to this. Wow. I don't know if that's really the word I wanted to use, but maybe it had <laughs> the, the same effect. Um, it's not that I don't experience the downbeat. Like eventually if I just like let myself go in a confusing piece of music, I can usually start to feel out a rhythm. Right. And then that's like what I'll start to like move my body to, or I'll pick up a different rhythm and move a different part of my body to that. And then I kind of right. like get this like feeling of, polyrhythm or polymeter but this is a little bit different like when it's kind of like changing time signatures all the time or really all over the place <laughs> um there's a really good example in electronic music um in the intro of uh reverse by underbelly and stasis oh my god dude i don't understand that song <laughs> that it's insane yes, but it, it wow it's really fun for me to listen to even though i can't find the downbeat there like i can't predict where it's going to be mm. and that's probably just because i haven't like taken the time to like deeply analyze that song right but i can but i can sit there in the moment and i can still feel every you know every moment of it going on i can let it pass over me you know if i move when the beat doesn't hit that doesn't matter because i'm not, i'm di in a way i'm kind of disconnecting myself from my body and i'm just only experiencing the music well, I, I would I would call that being fully connected to the body. 
because um, the body is what's feeling it. Um, that's 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 sort of my outlook. But definitely, stasis is an artist to look out for. I'll say that. There, I mean, it's it's hard to find really good electronic music. Um, it's really oversaturated. So you gotta you gotta appreciate when you can come across good ones. Oh man, yeah. Just <laughs> DSP production theory. I can get into that for for days. Yeah. Um in and, and that that is an area I I can't say I know anything about. Um I'm much less familiar with uh like digital signal processing theory, like digital audio theory. Mm-hmm. Um I know a little bit of the basics, but as far as production theory goes, I feel like I'm probably more well versed than than most. But then that again, that you know, you don't have to spend long in something to be better than ninety percent of people at it. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Just got to do a deep dive and just spend a lot of time. Read manuals. I remember you telling me about that uh, in the past about uh, making sure you will really well know uh, something uh, through, for example, reading the manual uh, before actually start starting to create with it. That's a good way. Um, sometimes you don't always follow the, or find all the information you want in the manual. Uh, like user user manuals are usually um, geared for operation. They don't really explain what's going on under the, under the hood. So sometimes um, what I like to do for plugins is if I find a plugin I really like, I'll go find out exact or not maybe not exactly what it's doing under the hood, but roughly mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll be able to learn new um, digital audio theory concepts on the way. And uh, in the in the end, I usually come out the other side with a better understanding of um, either mixing or sound design, just audio in general. Mm. Or I, I should say, instead of uh, mixing or sound design, I guess I should say um, generation or manipulation. Um, yeah, actually, um, do you want to get a little into production theory? Um, uh, sure, why not? Um, yeah, I, hmm. I mean, like, where do you start with this, right? I mean, uh, do you have any favorite uh, audio manipulation plugins? Oh, man. Um, manipulation plugins. Let me see. Um, <laughs> you, you probably know of a bunch that I'm, I'm not familiar with, to be honest. Um, I'm very, very so, curious. As far as plugins go that you use um, to manipulate incoming audio mm-hmm. or, or um, some, some audio source be it uh, real time or not, uh, would actually be, let me f- see if I can find it. It's a plugin called Maths. Uh, yeah, you told me about Maths, okay. I'm trying to remember who it's by because I really would like to share this with people where essentially you have, um, you can do different expressions for the left and right channel uh, and do some pretty wild audio manipulation through that and, and very intentional. Um, if you have ever messed with Fruity Formula Controller for mm. um, sending control signals in FL, yeah. it, it does kind of like what that does, but it's it's a stereo channel generator. and um, Or not generator, it's a stereo channel manipulator. Right. Instead of generating, um, you know, a mono-channel control signal, and because it's generating or it's it's manipulating audio, 
and it's not generating a control signal, you actually have much faster sampling rate. So you can do things that you just can't with the uh, fruity formula controller. And you can use um, the probably a little bit overkill, but sometimes not. You can actually use a combination of something like Immutility uh, that has um, an add function. Mm. Uh, so it allows you to to um, just set a constant value and, and change that constant value over time. And then uh, use uh, maths to manipulate it to create more complex controllers. And then you can pick up that audio source through Fruity Peak Controller and use it as a control signal. Wow. This, this almost sounds it's like It's really convoluted. Yeah, it, it almost <laughs> sounds like you, this is... A, well, it sounds a little bit like this could be used for like almost kind of like creating your own plugins like in Patcher. Um, like it could be very useful for that. Then. I do that quite a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which blows my mind whenever you would show me like a, a instance of Patcher that you've uh, put together. I'm just like, yeah, how that I remember. <laughs> honestly, it's, it's <laughs> less of like, oh, wow, that's so hard. And like, oh, wow, that's so tedious. Okay, okay. Uh, well, Patcher is probably not as complicated as I think it is, but um, if you understand basic signal flow, mm-hmm. you've got it. I, I do understand the yellow, uh, like little like routings. I mean, one goes to the next, and uh, you can kind of create multiple signals, um, mix in the dry, and all kinds of stuff. Just mixing in like different signal chains. Um, right. Once you start getting into like the I think it's like the the red and the green ones that I, I and I just see like all of that. I'm just like, whoa! All right, this is getting more confusing. Um, I, one is like MIDI, I think, right? Yeah. So the green is MIDI, the yellow is audio, and the red is uh, control signals, FL native control signals. Oh, and by the way, Maths is by Soka Labs. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I had just looked that up. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so maths by Soko Labs that might be worth checking out to all the listeners. That's a hard mic. Um, it depends on what you're into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really uh, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, um, man, there's just there's uh, so many great plugins. Um, what are some other really good ones you can think of? We have maths. <laughs> Uh, okay, so if I might actually bring up an FL native one that I feel like doesn't get enough uh, love and attention, mm. um, morphine is oh. phenomenal. Yeah, what is um? So that's that's a synthesizer, right? So like, what is its synthesis method? It's additive synthesis. Okay. Um. So you know how you have the have you used uh, citrus? Um, a decent bit. A decent bit, yeah. Okay, so you know how when you go in, or actually it's uh, present in serum too as well, which I know you do have experience with. Yeah. Um, You have the harmonic series, which you can program and also change the phase of of each um, partial. Right. Um, In morphine, I believe you also have the option of panning and i know for sure that you also have the option of detuning your partials and that creates some pretty incredible <laughs> just really great organic sounds wow uh, i think it's right. really awesome at um 
if, yeah, it's great at making uh, kind of wet, lively growls or basses like that. Uh, um, what I like to do is I'll you know create a pretty aggressive tone with um, one of one of the oscillators, and then I will I'll detune some of the partials. Uh, usually, the higher partials, like the higher the partial, the better because you get movement, but it doesn't affect your pitch as much. And then I use OTT or Serum's compressor. For sure, uh, for sure. Which I believe is the same, the same algorithm. Yeah, it's basically OTT and Serum. Um, if you said it's a multiband, anyway. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so specifically that that algorithm, the either the multiband Serum compressor or OTT, and I'll just squeeze the shit out of it. Try to get artifacts. <laughs> try to make it sound very digital, heavy, driven, without sounding distorted. Right. Um. It definitely brightens something up uh, and colors it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then once I've got a, a fat tone that I really enjoy, I do filtering and more compression to bring out uh, more artifacts and kind of make it sound like a growl. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, when you said um, you could detune partials, that kind of blew my mind a little bit because um, it reminded me of... of uh, just dissonance effects, you know? Um, I know Razor is pretty well known for that. Um, but this is on a much more intricate level, which is really cool. Harmer does it too, but it, I feel like you have less fine control of it. Uh, the way that Harmer does it is through the prism function. Oh, right, right. right. Which is, makes it easy to do gradients, but it's hard to do like very precise. Like I want to affect the third harmonic by, you know, right, right. want to detune it by three cents up. You have far more control when you can do it by partials individually. Yeah, that's, that's usually why I reach for um, morphine when I reach for morphine is specifically because of that, that uber fine control. Damn. That's freaking awesome. Actually, I've never explored morphine. Um, shoot. Is it, does it come with uh I, I probably will have to buy it, actually, to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't come with FL. And I will also have to say that um, I believe that's what Harmer's Prism does. That's what it sounds like it does to me. Either that or it does like a displacement on like a preset map on which the partials are, are set in. And it deforms that, that map, kind of like um, gravity deforms space-time. That would be the only way I would really know how to describe that so I, i'm not i'm not totally sure that um it's doing exactly the same thing but it is definitely detuning partials that is really cool wow i need to explore that as well as harmer more that's freaking awesome as far as uh, synthesis plugins i remember you also telling me about um this one called cadmium i don't know do you have any stuff you could say about that um Fucking fantastic plugin. Probably one of the best plugin purchases I've ever made. I had a little bit of a hiccup uh, in, in the process of buying it. It's, uh, I believe it's made just by this one single developer. Um, mm. It's uh, developed by LHI Audio. So um, it works. I don't understand it as well as I would like to. There's a paper I have been meaning to read, and I've put it off for honestly way too long now. 
but um, it uses something called vector phase synthesis, which is a, a pretty much completely novel um, form of synthesis. So that was what really drew me to it because it was capable of producing sounds that you can't get anywhere else because it's a totally unique, it's a totally new approach to synthesis. Right. It's, uh, I, be- I believe it's an evolution of um, phase distortion uh, or phase distortion synthesis. Mm. So do you understand uh, exactly how this more novel form of synthesis works or no, I, I, uh, I remember briefly just trying to look into phase distortion and, you know, being pressed for time and at the time, pretty intimidated by the concept. So (laughs) I I figured I would come back, um, when I had more time, which I, you know, have not yet, unfortunately. So I will say that it is fantastic at making, um, really nasty dirty reeses and and uh even mm. growls it's uh really cool you can make some pretty incredible leads with it too it's just uh it's actually surprisingly flexible for uh the lack of in synth modulation that you have available you have three lfos uh and i believe two yeah i think it was just two envelopes it might have been three I know the LFOs though. You have you can go at audio rate, um, so or at at wave rate. So, mm, like hertz mode. More like you can essentially um, FM just about any parameter you can modulate. FM is probably not the right word for it, but uh, yeah, you would be able to modulate it like at a note value. Oh wow! Is that kind of like using the? Um the note LFO in Serum to modulate something? Not, e- not even that, right? It's- right, because the, the note controller in Serum, it, it takes what note that you're, you're pressing and it maps it from 0 to 1. I can't remember if it's 0 to 1 or if it's 0 to 127. But you can map that then to any modulatable parameter in Serum. This is more like if you put... Have you ever used the noise oscillator as a modulator in Serum? Oh, you're talking about this. Okay, I see. Um, I haven't tried that very much. So if you, if you put in a, a waveform cycle for your noise oscillator in Serum, you can essentially kind of do FM, and you have the same option here, except you have three LFOs that have either sine, saw, or square. And it's not just your LFO being sine, saw, or square. You have independent uh, um, LFOs, three different independent shapes for each LFO so that you can use at once. So if I wanted to use uh, you know, a sine version of LFO1 and a saw version of LFO1, I can apply that to the same parameter if I wanted to. That sounds pretty insane. Yeah, so blending them t- together can kind of you can kind of um, squeeze more complicated um, sh- LFO shapes out of it. Wow, I can imagine it's also pretty easy with such a plugin to get something sounding really like noisy and disorderly really fast if one's not like careful and conscious with how they use the plugin. It can get kind of noisy, but it's actually hard to make it super disorderly. I think uh, the best 
artist that makes sounds that kind of sound like this is like, uh, I feel like this cadmium is really good at making sounds like clock vice. Oh man. I love his timbres, man, especially in his, uh, his very like dis- uh, compressed sounding basses. It's like wet and dirty at the same time. Yeah, it does have a unique uh, tone. Uh, he does have sort of a unique tone between a lot of his uh, more like crunchy sort of basses. Yeah, I'm a very big fan of Clockwise. <laughs> He's freaking awesome. Yeah. In- incredible. Probably one of the only electronic dance musicians that I would say is actually musical. Wow. Oh, yeah. He has a very like dark sort of uh, sound in his composition. You can hear it through his chord progressions and stuff. Um, I don't know if it's just that he has like a dark sound. Uh, I mean, he definitely does, but it's more that he, it's apparent to me that he's more intentional, that he knows more about music, the composing side of things and not just, you know, what, how to, how to EQ or how to level or how to make this cool sound. It's, it's about the music behind all that too. Right. And he, his, his compositions and arrangements are just excellent. I do wonder how much of it is um, music theory knowledge. Um, I recall in a podcast, it's more so intuitive for him than anything. I would believe that. I do feel like though, it's either that you're probably seeing either a creative or uh, an individual that practices creativity more. And so is uh, more prone to coming up with ideas. That's probably true. Or maybe it's that they have experience out more experience outside of electronic music. I, I don't know much about the person, but I know, uh, I know quite a few songs in his discography and I just, I love his stuff. What do you think of, um, I, I kind of look at it as a trilogy, but the, um, ego feeder disgrace and, uh, what was hideous. the third one? Oh, hideous. Um, yeah. It seems like a trilogy because the artwork is kind of like there's sort of a figure in the middle and gets uh, progressively more perhaps disturbing or there's like a progression it looks like. I think that those three songs are some of the greatest electronic pieces to be written to date. Wow. Really, really wonderful. I, I love them so much. Um, they just have a very intuitive and musical use of rhythm. Uh, and, mm. you know, electronic music is very rhythmic by nature. So to see someone take something that is core to the genre and, and innovate on it, which unfortunately is not done very, very often, def- definitely not often enough. Definitely not in rhythm. Yeah. So and he, <laughs> he's really, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, oh, man, I got, I got my problems with rhythm. There's some <laughs> insane rhythm out there that's just unbelievably good, but there's also way more rhythm out there that is unbelievably acceptable. <laughs> it, it, I feel like it just it just barely hits the mark, you know. Uh, um, regarding rhythm in uh, electronic music, uh, well, more specifically in uh, in drop arrangement. Man, that that is a very valuable thing, and uh, I'm I'm realizing how much I actually struggle with it. It's like you can have all these cool sounds, but do you have like a memorable and very like uh, something that really pulls somebody in, you know, and something they can really feel uh, type of rhythm? I find that so, to be quite a challenge. An understanding of rhythm is 
just core to being an electronic musician, I think, or at least it should be because so much of dance music comes from rhythm. And it also, I think the, like the smartest thing for a a dance musician, like an electronic dance music to do, if they want to get better at making electronic dance music and really make something special is to go outside of electronic dance music and look at uh, traditional dance music from all over the world. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, uh, one of the one of my favorites is checking out um, West African music. Oh yeah, some of these have very complex rhythms, actually. Sometimes you also find, I think, one of the most fascinating rhythm con- concepts, and and sometimes you find it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you also find it in West Af- some West African music is the lack of a time signature. Instead, you just have a pulse, and these rhythmic ideas. Uh, just form over time through, oh, what's the word? Improvisation. Oh, wow. So it's very much like it's, uh, it is subject to just spontaneous uh, feeling. Very. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that. Um, I, I find it really cool how uh, our, uh, our system of music theory that we've kind of made a, almost a science, it, it does not apply in uh, other parts of the world. It's because it's, well, my opinion, but it's, uh, okay, the system itself isn't racist, but its constructors were, and it has profound implications, or or it has a profound impact on what it eventually became. Mm -hmm. In in music theory curriculums today, you focus mainly on people like Bach and Mozart and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky which are almost all Austrian or German, white and male, because right. the, the current framework for music theory was actually created, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was created in the Nazi regime in Germany. It's a dark origin story. And that's why it, it focuses mainly on white European men. And specifically white German men. And yeah, so I don't really like calling it music theory as much as I would rather refer to it as 17th uh, 17th century harmonic style. Mm. Which is, you know, that's a tip to Adam Neely. Tip my hat to him. Shout out Adam Neely. Um, Really great content. He he opened my eyes to this through his video. And I don't, I, I think maybe he over politicized it a little bit, but he did expose. Well, it, it was, it was titled that I think it was titled uh, music theory is white. Uh, it, is racist. Racist. He was talking about how it's yeah. like kind of white supremacist a bit. And uh, it is kind of opened my eyes to some of the fundamental biases in the framework that I was studying. So it really made me look outwards. It's like, well, if I want to, if I want to know music, then I'm going to need to know all of music, not just the kind of music from where I'm from. So I looked mm-hmm. outside of Western music and I started looking into Eastern music. What, what have you found? What are some cool things you found? Microtonality um, from <laughs> um, in Indonesian and Indian culture. Oh yeah. That's a lot of fun. It's uh, unreal. Um, also, different counting systems uh, from from India, um, which are sometimes just faster to count uh, out loud or in your head than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six. You know, yeah. Keep on doing that. You can be like, um, 
What is it? Tucket the tucket the tucket tucket the tucket the tucket. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tucket the tucket tucket the tucket tucket the tucket. You can you can feel out um, tuplets more more rapidly than you would be able to like one two three four five one two three four five. You know, you start trip over trip over right. your words. Oh well, the rhythm that you're doing that was like I, I call that the three three two. You know, one two three one two three one two, um, which adds up to eight counts. But you're talking about using that uh, to easier understand uh, odd time signatures. Or or tuplets like I just did a uh, um, quintuplets here. Taka 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 taka. Oh, I must have misheard you. Damn. So well, I did before that. I did count in eight, and that's also a really good way to feel different rhythms in the same time signature. So you can feel different syncopations just by dividing it into different twos or threes or different numbers, including decimal point and fraction numbers. <laughs> which I have oh, seen um, what is it? Phonon do. Is that kind of like his style? Because I mean, I've, I've only heard, of course, that one that blew up. The polyrhythm? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so from what I understand, that's part of some of his style. Um, he has a song out. I think it's pronounced me, but it's spelled E-M-M-E. Hmm. It's, M-A? it's got... I, I know that's like how it reads, but there's a there's a section in his music video where it's just like me reflected, and I'm wondering if maybe the first part is supposed to be silent. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, might be no, reading too much into that. No, yeah, it's like maybe like a reflection of the word to make it a palindrome. Yeah. Okay, but um, what about this song though? The, like um, as much as good um, rhythmic complexity that polyrhythm had. I feel like this one is just way crazier. There's so many more different um, <laughs> rhythmic scapes. Wow. Landscapes, that's what I meant to say. I'm going to write this down. Also, what a badass name. I don't know if you know what a phonon is, but um, it's actually a scientific term. Oh, okay, okay. It's oh, uh, what, a, what does it mean? It, so, like, a photon is used to describe a discrete packet of light, uh, the particle. Well, sound doesn't really have particles, but you can still view it in uh, discrete systems. And in that system, one, I guess, you can think of it as a imaginary particle uh, of sound is called a phonon. Oh, that's awesome. I thought it was, to be honest, I thought it was just where, like, producers will just come up with some name that sounds cool, you know? And they kind of all, like, a lot of them end up sounding, like, kind of the same oh man don't i know i'm stuck with one <laughs> i don't know I, I, I like reflect i think it's a cool name but i thought it was just like one of those like made up word names where it just sounds cool i, I see that a lot in the producer community so that's cool it actually has like a meaning to it i'm not sure if that's what he intended it to mean but that is what phonon means well hey um yeah man it's been really awesome talking to you i think we should definitely wrap it up here uh we're definitely running out of time Anything you'd like to leave any listeners with? Um, yeah, just try to try new things all the time. You'd be surprised how much you can grow just from exposing yourself to things that you wouldn't usually. Change is good, and sometimes it just comes in the, in the form of finding something new to enjoy. Mm, well said. Well, it's been really awesome talking to you, uh, Jacob. It's been awesome, dude. Thanks for tolerating me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I've known Jacob for four years or so, and every time I get done talking to him, I leave feeling really inspired, supplied with new ideas to implement. 
sometimes starting a new song shortly after talking with him even. I'd like to note that the little preview at the beginning of the podcast was a soundbite from a part that I cut out, but I felt like that snippet was worth keeping, so if you were looking for it, that's why you couldn't find it. Also, please follow the links in the description to support us in our music. Finally, if you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I hear it helps out podcasters a lot. Anyways, hope you liked it. See you guys next time. But not literally. <laughs>